All right, take your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. We'll really be going farther than that this morning, but we'll read those in just a moment. <clears throat> Some of you are in a lot better mood than I have ever seen since I've been coming here for a year. I think it has something to do with a baseball team. I was going to wear, I had to wear a Texas Ranger hat because I lost a bet. And I, some of you are on my Facebook page, you saw my post. I had about the saddest face I could put on when I wore the Ranger hat. But I'll tell you what, you're, you had a good team. I, I could root for them. I enjoyed rooting for them, except for when they played Mastros. So, but enjoy it. it. It's fun to be a part of something like that. Now, today we're going to get into a message that really everybody's in good mood because the Rangers won, but this is going to deal with the difficulty of life. So I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. I had breakfast yesterday morning at the church that I attend in Fort Worth, and the Tarrant County Sheriff uh, spoke. Very godly man. I, I didn't know a thing about him. Got a chance to talk with him afterwards. But I did ask him a question. I said, Sheriff, I know from my dealings in San Antonio that after COVID, things just have not been good. Have things really as bad as I assume because I'm not really in a position to have the connections I used to. He said, Steve, since COVID hit, the culture has dropped so dramatically it is not even funny. So we have 40 young men, teenagers, in prison for murder right now, waiting, going to trial for murder in Tarrant County alone. He said the drug usage has gone from $3 million a year in 2018 to $31 million a year in 2022 in Tarrant County alone. He said something changed. And then we see the world stage. And life just is getting a little more dangerous every single moment. While I'm sitting down there, my phone has an app on it that's called uh, Red Alert Israel. And every time a missile is shot at Israel, the phone goes off. And I'll tell you that it was going off constantly just a minute ago with about, about two or 300 alerts, just one right after the other. I had the sound turned off so it wouldn't bother anybody. We live in a tough time. Now, I'm getting texts and emails from friends in, all over the country, and they're going, this is it. We're at the final days. We might be. I don't know. It's way above my pay grade. It really is. I think there's some things that still have to happen before something like that happens. But what Paul's writing to Timothy in this letter, last week you got the core of what 2 Timothy is about. The whole issue of 2 Timothy is verses, chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. That is what's required of every single one of us in this room. When I teach pastors at Southwestern Seminary over the years, one thing I would do is I'd take them to that verse. This is the kind of men you've got to be. It's what's required of you that you have to live this out no matter what you're facing in life. So I know for some of you, you were here last week, but you've already forgotten whatever the message was from last week. That's pretty common and stuff. Well, let me remind you that it starts out this way. It says a moral necessity. The word must in your English, but it means moral necessity. There are five things that have to be a part of your life. And they are this. One is not quarreling. Now, for most, we'll think that not quarreling is not a really bad sin. Well, talk to the people in the wilderness. It costs them going in the promised land because of all the quarreling they did with Moses. Go to Romans 13 and look at the list of the sins that are there. 
He's going to say drunkenness. He hits it hard. He then hits promiscuity, sexual promiscuity. Then the third thing, quarrel it. Those are the sins that keep you out of the kingdom of God. So when it looks at us, it says, listen, you and I are not fighters. We're not to be out trying to get even with anyone and everyone we can. Our homes need to be places that are peaceful, not places where they're filled with arguments. We don't quarrel. Sheep don't fight, guys. Those who raise sheep, goats will attack you when you turn your back and sometimes even when you don't. But sheep basically are not fighters. We're called not to fight. Second thing is, be kind to every single person you encounter. It's easy to be kind to those who like you and treat you well. It's not so easy. Yesterday, my youngest grandson was playing in the Gridiron Bowl in, in Keene, Texas, and one of the, our best players on our eighth-grade team got cheap-shotted as bad as I've ever seen ever on a football field. Tears within his eyes. He got gut-punched in his liver, and it dropped him to his knees, and he could not get up. A couple of my players standing, I was just helping the junior high coaches, leaned over and said, we're going to get number 50. We're going to take him out. We're going to pay a price. I said, no, you're not. No cheap shots back. We don't do that. We don't play that way. You play your game. If you need to hit him, you hit him, but don't cheap shot anybody. And I was proud of the junior high boys. That was unusual for them that they didn't want to hit a cheap shot back. It's always easy to get even when somebody's hurt us. We're to be kind to every single person, Scripture says. Third thing, you better be knowing your Word of God. Be able to teach. You say, well, I'm not a teacher. I don't have the gift of teaching. That's not what he's talking about. Yes, with Timothy he is, but for the rest of us, we've got to be able to share what we believe. We've got to know what we believe. We've got to be able to stand for that which is truthful. And to be able to teach, you have to do what Ezra did. Ezra did this. He studied God's Word, then he practiced, and then he taught. A lot of us want to be teachers without ever doing anything. We have a couple of players on our football team as we get ready for playoffs this week who still don't know the plays after 12 weeks. I would have pulled them, but my offensive coordinator keeps them out on the field and stuff. But that just tells me they don't care enough about what's going on to be able to know what our system is about and how to do it. You know what? If we care truly about who God is and what he's done for us in Christ Jesus, then we're going to know his word. We'll study it. As study of the Word of God should be a passion of every single person's heart in this room. Not that you become some kind of scholar, but you know God, that you know His Word. Paul, when he's my age, well, really about 60-ish, so a little bit younger than me, said to the church at Philippi, I have only one desire, I want to know Jesus. At that age, he should have already said, I know Him. But he wanted to know even more. Because when you have a love for something, you want to fully grasp and understand all that is going on. And then you practice that. See, what you study your Bible for is so that you live out what you read every single day. And then you're ready to tell others these amazing truths. And then patient when wronged. Patient when wronged. One of the most difficult things in the world to do. But when somebody wrongs you, you have to be patient. That's what I teach pastors. There are going to come days that somebody will wrong you being in the pastorate. It comes with the position. Get used to it. It happens. What is your response? Wait. Just Wait. And then lastly, when you correct, you always correct with gentleness, which means I'm always under control when I bring correction or point something out. That's what not just Timothy's called to do. That's what every one of us in this room have been called to do. And you know what? When you do that, then true evangelism happens. Because in the last verse and a half of that second chapter, if God will grant repentance 
to those around you who are under the influence of Satan, who are under the control of Satan. Our power in sharing the gospel comes because we live out that we truly deeply believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that leads into chapter 3. He has to lay this foundation because what he wants to tell us in 3. So if you'll stand with me, he's laid that foundation. That's what we have to know. So what does he tell us in chapter 3? And here's what he says. You follow along in God's word. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, they'll become brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And they'll hold to a form of godliness, though they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Father, help us to grasp what Paul's saying here. Because, Father, from where I stand, it looks like nothing but difficult days ahead. That some of the things which Paul was warning Timothy, we may begin to experience. But what you need from us is to be the kind of men and women you've called us to be, that you've shown your grace to and given mercy to, that we can walk and that be salt and light in the community in which we live in, that we can live with our families and love them and, and give the leadership that we need to there, that we can do the same thing within our church family, that, Father, we can be the men and women you've called us to be, so that in this midst of all that we may face, that this will be a place of refuge, a place of safety, a place where light and salt take place. So, Father, speak clearly to each and every one of us this day. It is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There is a command in verse 1. Do you see it? It's that real phrase right there, but realize this. That's the command. The word realize there in the Greek means to know or to understand. It's a present active imperative. You're commanded that you know some, something. This truth that he's about to say, you've got to know it. Jesus is going to say the same thing in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 when he's speaking about the second coming, when he says, even so, you too, when you see these things happen, realize that he is near right at the door. Exact same word. There are certain things you and I need to know and understand. What does he want you to know and understand this day there in verse 1? That in the last days, it's going to get tough. In the last days, it's going to get tough. This is not the first time Paul has said this to Timothy. He told him this in the first letter in chapter 4. He said, in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith. They'll pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. We've been warned in the last days that false teachers will rise up. Paul told the church at Thessalonica the same thing. Now, the danger of that and why we need to know that is that one of the signs of Christ's coming, one of the signs of Christ's coming in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, is that there's an apostasy and a falling away. I'm not so certain that we're beginning to see the beginnings of that. Some of the most famous preachers in America now are holding to beliefs and doctrines that are so off base, it is not even funny. I have seen that a couple people that I've known have shifted dramatically in everything they believe. The culture has changed so much that things are beginning to shift. 
And so what we're warned about is that difficult times will come. And you and I need to know that. And I think this is why. In, in 2013, I was invited to Washington, D.C. to give a speech. I was receiving an award that day. I've to- talked about it before. I was getting a Jonas Clark Award for my work with the military and defending religious freedom. And so the other person being awarded was Franklin Graham and myself, and so we were up there. But afterwards, I was asked to speak. And so here's what, it, what I said. I grew up in the early, the late 60s and the 70s in junior high, high school, and college. There was a very famous book during those days written by a man named Hal Lindsey. Some of you are aware of what I'm, the book I'm about to talk about. It was the late great planet Earth, and in which he had figured out that Israel becoming a nation in 48, that the second coming was going to happen very, very quickly, that we were on a generation time frame. So in the late 70s, early 80s, Christ would return, and we all need to, to get ready. And in it, he said, there will come a point in time that all of us will just vanish off the earth, and then he'll come, and all the stuff will fall apart, and everything will happen. It's called, a series followed it shortly by Tim LaHaye called the Left Behind series. It's very similar, but when uh, that book didn't work in the 80s, they came up with another one in the 90s. Now, in this room, if I was to quiz all the second coming views, there are probably about 35 or 40 different views on how the second coming is going to happen. I just know that from doing this in all the churches I've ever been in. We all have our way of of viewing this. But I have come to the conclusion that late great planet Earth was not good for the church. Why? Because the gist of it was that it is going to get real bad, but before it gets bad, we're out of here. And so all these years I've been told by all my different members, and most of my members would buy into all of this, we don't have to worry about our culture falling apart. We don't have to worry about what happens in the Middle East. We don't have to worry about this, or we don't have to worry about that, because we'll be gone before anything gets real bad. Guys, as I said in 2013, I'll say it again here. I said it in front of a 1,000 pastors and, and politicians in Washington, D.C., We woke up in 2013, and we've been left behind. We pulled out of the culture. We pulled out. Churches got very inward focused, and we wonder why the culture fell apart. See, we want to escape everything. I understand that. I understand that better than anybody. I know we don't like to go through difficult times. Paul's saying here, you need to know something. Before Before Jesus Christ comes again, difficult days are going to happen. And we may be kind of experiencing that now here in America. If you'd have shown me pictures from last night of the the White House and what was taking place at the White House last night, I would have said that would have never happened within America, what was happening at the gates. I've stood at those gates on many occasions. I've been in the White House three times to have seen what I saw last night, the anger and the hatred that was there. And I'm going, what's happened? What's going on? So I think these are very relevant for us to pay attention to, that difficult times will come. Jesus said this, lawlessness will increase and people's love will grow cold. Lawlessness will increase, it will multiply, this is Matthew 24, and then people's love will grow cold. That makes sense. With the lawlessness increasing in our country like it's been increasing, 
we see the ability to be patient and kind dropping all around us. Frustration and anger. So natural reaction when danger raises up that you see that begin to dis- happen. Jesus warned that. And, and Paul will now unfold a description. In Romans 1, really what he's doing here to, what Timothy, to Timothy in the third chapter is Romans 1 at the end, the depravity of mind. When mind gets so depraved. But let's kind of walk through this list in verse 2. Because in the difficult days, here's what you will see. Men will become lovers of self and lovers of money. That's the very essence of what sin and rebellion is. is. Lovers of self. What has God called you and I to do now that we're in Christ Jesus? What is the attitude that you're supposed to have now that you follow Jesus Christ? If I go to Philippians chapter 2, it's going to tell me this. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So what mind was in Christ? Philippians 2, 3 will tell me that what the mind of Christ was is simply this, that he considered other people more important than himself. You know what that's called? Humility. Suddenly, we're not lovers of self anymore. Once we know who we are in Christ, we now have a love of the Father, a love of the Son, a love for the people around us. That's the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. But as the culture goes down, as we get closer to the second coming, people will be raised up who all they care about is themselves, their own thing that they need in life. And the second thing is the lover of money. What has Paul already told us about the love of money? It's the root of all evil. You go to politics, you go to business, follow the money, they always say, because there's a lot of truth to that. We're a culture that's dictated by money and the love of money. And you, so when you see that, you see it gradually decline. Literally, do you know that those are two of the three qualifications of a false teacher when Peter's writing his second letter? A false teacher will have three things about him. He is going to be what? He is going to be a lover of money. He's going to be arrogant, and he's going to be guilty of immorality. That's how you know what a false teacher is. They'll become a part of his life. Paul's included two of them here. So when you become a lover of self and a lover of money, what happens? Well, notice what happens next in this line. Because I think when you read a list like this, build it on one another. It's a foundation. You put another block up and another block on top of that. There's a reason for that. So coming out of lovers of money and lovers of self, you get boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. Let's think about some of this. Disobedience to parents. If I'm a lover of self, a lover of money, a lover of pleasure, whatever you may want to say, then I don't want anybody having authority over me, especially those who are closest to me being parents. Life is about them. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. Second thing is they're ungrateful. Always ungrateful. You see that in that word right there. Okay, now I'm tying this into several things. Let's go back to Romans 1. When I get into Romans 1 and I'm walking through, starting in verse 18 all the way to the end of the chapter, Paul starts this progression that goes downhill that eventually will lead him to say that God gave him up to immorality. God gave him up to homosexuality. God gave him up to depraved mind. So when you and I read Romans 1 and we talk about the great sins that are about to unfold, that he lists there, that's what we say are the horrible things. No, that's God's judgment when a person's involved in those things. That's already his judgment on them. He removed his hand from them. They get the full consequences of their actions. So that's not what the problem is. 
And if I begin to back back up, I'll begin to see some things. There was idolatry involved in that. But if I back up again, it was because they're, they're doing foolish speculation. They have no authority, no stand, standard of which to believe truth. But I keep backing up, and I get back to where it says two things they were not doing. They were not honoring God, and they're not thankful. They did not honor. They were not thankful. Paul says when you have lovers of pleasure lovers of money, lovers of self, you get no honor and you get unthankfulness. That is the steps that once you're guilty of that, sends people straight downhill in the long run. And so what you end up with, those two great sins in Romans 1, no honor, no thankfulness, leads to the rest of verse 2. Unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, As you get closer to the coming of Christ, this becomes the world in which you and I will live in. How are you and I supposed to live within that? 2 Timothy 2, 24-26, you studied it last week. Live out fully confident in what Christ has done. And you also, during that time frame, have to watch out because there will be false people raised up during these days. They'll hold to a form of godliness but they deny its power, perfect tense. They never believe there was a power to any of this Christianity. They do it for all kinds of reasons, but they will lead people astray. People want their ears tickled during this time. Paul will say somewhere else. But you and I are to be careful. You know the greatest way to make sure nobody misguides or misleads you? You know the truth. Know God's Word. The truth will set you free. And you'll not be led down a path that you would wish you had never gone down. You will stay faithful in the midst of all of that. Jesus said in the last days, false teachers will arise to lead people astray. He says this, many false prophets will arise, will mislead many. Paul told the church at Thessalonica, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. So when you don't have a love of truth, you'll buy what everybody says. And if you get a freedom to live how you want to, you're going to follow them. And so that's the danger. And he throws a couple names in here, Janus and Jambres. You'll not find them anywhere else in the Scripture. We have to go outside into Jewish history and Jewish theology. Those are two of the leading magicians in Egypt when Moses is doing his miracles. These are the couple guys who can pull off a couple of the first two miracles. They were false teachers. They had a, a way they may have, according to Jewish lore, Jewish history, Jewish theologians, they may have even left whenever Israel went in the wilderness, and they may have had impact and influence whenever they built the golden calf. Speculating, we don't know that as a biblical fact, but it's just in writing. But false teachers can lead a lot of people astray when things are going bad. And so you and I have to be careful that that does not happen. And these men are easy to find, too, because they'll take advantage of women within the setting of the church, captivate weak women. So ladies, my challenge to you, you don't want to be one of the weak ladies. You better know the word. You better walk in obedience in order to protect yourself from the, what could happen when the life gets tough. So we stop right there for a moment and go, oh, I don't really like much of any of this. I didn't come here today for somebody to tell me it's going to be a tough time. But Jesus says, you better know this. Paul says, you need to know this. This is real. So what do I do? How do I take something like that 
coming down. I, I believe that Christ comes. We don't get through the wrath. We don't do any of that. But I don't think we get exempt from toughness. We've been spoiled in America. I've lived a life of amazing. I missed uh, the Vietnam War by a year or two. I was too old by the time the Gulf Wars began to go. So I came through all the way through, never being a part of anything like that. My, my dad went from total poverty living. We lived in government housing, 15-foot trailers, that by the time he passed away, he was worth a lot of money. I, so I, I lived a blessed life being raised by Jerry and Wilma Branson and all that they were allowed to provide. That's, it helped me to be able to do my education and to go farther than I ever thought I would, be able to do some things I never imagined within my life. So I, I know how blessed. And so I, hardship... I mean, the stress of being a pastor, you know, my hair used to be black, now it's gray, so I'm sure that had something to do with it and, and stuff. But, you know, I have been blessed beyond imagination to live where I've lived. Experienced very little difficulty. I've had our tough moments, but very, very little. So I don't want to hear tough times. But yet I have to be reminded again, that's a real possibility. And when that, if that happens within my lifetime and your lifetime, how are we supposed to live? Glad you asked. Let's see what he says. He gives simple advice. One, it's in verse 10. Follow my teachings. And the word follow, Luke uses this word. In the opening chapter of Luke, when he says this, seemed fitting to me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write out for you a consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. That word investigate is the word here, follow, exactly. Guys, get in the word. You know, I've been privileged to be your interim pastor for about a year, and someday here in the future, here soon, if everything falls according to God's will, there will be a, uh, another man standing up here doing this. But my challenge to you is try to do the best I could to teach you God's Word, but to put a hunger in you that you'd want to know it. The greatest safety you and I have to protect us is that we know what the Word of God says. I know the voice of God when He speaks because it agrees with the Word of God. Take the time necessary to think. Do more than just have a morning devotional. Oh, that was so good. Thank you, Lord. I really enjoyed that today. No, stop and think about it. Why did he say that? Why is he writing this to me? What is here that I need to know? I mean, I love to use the Proverbs. I'm a Proverbs person over a Psalms person. I want the facts. I won the national math test in high school. Just give me the facts. Give me the formula. I'll figure it out. I just want the facts. A lot of times we'll read the Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. That's been my life verse. But what did he mean? What does it mean to trust the Lord with all my heart? What are other examples of, of that? I was teaching this last week on holiness at the church in, in Fort Worth. I, I've been leading their church through the holiness study for the last eight weeks. And I closed with an interesting conclusion. My pastor, that I call my pastor, Paul Burleson, at South Cliff in Fort Worth for years, had a sermon. I don't remember hardly any of his sermons, but I've never forgotten this one for whatever reason. And it's simply this. The title of it is Few Men End Well. It's, after, it's about Lot and how Lot finished up father and his own grandchildren and and the story is not a good story and yet peter calls lot a righteous man a man of faith but he didn't end real well and then paul's gist of his sermon was very few people end their lives well 
I have never forgotten that because I'm now getting on that back end side where I'm getting closer every day to ending this and going to heaven. I want to do good. I want to finish strong. I want my grandkids to still be proud of Pop-Pop because he didn't do something stupid or something that he shouldn't have been doing. I want them to be able to look and say, Pop-Pop was a good man. I don't want my kids to be embarrassed because of stupid stunts I might pull. And I warn you that it's easy to be, to not finish well. Go through some of the kings, the good kings of, of Judah, and see how many of them, by the end of their king serving, did not finish well. Asa, Jehoshaphat, look at this, two or three more who started well, did amazingly well, but pride and arrogance got in the way. So when it tells me to investigate, I need to know God's word so that I can live it. And then he begins to say this, conduct, conduct means way of life. There's a way of life that comes because of your faith and trust in Christ. Live it every day. The world may be going to hell in a handbasket, but we're not. Everything may fall apart around us, but as for me and my house, we're going to walk with the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord, just like Joshua said, that we're going to do this every single day. Carry out the purposes. That's the next word that's found there in verse 10. Carry out the purposes of God. And that literally means his plan for your life. It's Romans 8, 28. God causes all things, not some things. God causes all things to work together for good to those who loved him and are called according to his purpose. So anything that Steve has walked through or that you have walked through in life, God has had purposes behind that, and he's walked you through it because he's making you stronger. James is going to say, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance so that you'll be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. So all of God's providence in my, in my life has raised me up to be where I'm supposed to be today, and I want to be faithful to that. I want to carry out his purposes, his plans within my life. That ought to be your heart's desire in all that you do. And then he lives with the things you'd expect, your faith. We need to still be growing in faith. There's not a person in this room that's where you ought to be in your faith. We grow daily in this. We grow stronger in this. Abraham did that. Abraham didn't become the great example of faith until he, he was nearly 100 years of age. He even passed it when he gave finally the amazing demonstration with Isaac and the sacrifice. And that's why Paul, when he writes about that in Romans 4, is going to make this unbelievable statement. This is a man who did not waver in unbelief anymore, but this is a man who grew strong in faith. And he knew if God said it, God was going to do it. That's where you and I need to be on a daily basis. If God's word said it, and I'm only going to know that if I'm investigating it, if I've studied that, I know what it says. I'm living it out. I am practicing it. It's a part of my life. Then God's going to accomplish what he needs to. And then comes patience. And we could all use that. Every one of us in this room need a touch more patience within our lives. And you know, once you've got patience, you know what you got? Love. In fact, how does 1 Corinthians 13, 4 start? Love is patient. Patience demonstrates I have love. If I have real love, I'm patient. I'm patient because I have faith. I have faith because this is God's purpose and plan within my life. This is the way he wants me to live. And I have learned this through my study. And then you know what you end up with is what every believer in this room needs. Perseverance perseverance. 
the ability to endure. The ability to endure. To stay underneath the, the load. Don't run when life gets tough, but you stand firm. And then perseverance, according to Paul in Rome, leads to proven character. Proven character. Why will you need this? Well, let me close with this verse. There's a verse in verse 12. I'd like to ignore it, but I can't. All who desire to live godly will what? Be persecuted. Will be persecuted. Do you ever think there's a danger if you were to stand up and say today that you support Israel, that you could get in trouble? I would have never seen that one coming, not in America. I had a Muslim family move next door to me and uh, yesterday or day before. We were out visiting with them. Jan made them some cookies and we went over. And uh, she said, what does your husband do? He's a preacher. <laughs> oh, thank you for the cookies. <laughs> My neighbor across the street is a very devout follower of Christ. He said, yeah, are they Muslims? I said, yeah, they're, they're very devout Muslims. They're from Kuwait. They've been here for 35 years, but they're very devout. And uh, he said, I'm going to get my Israel flag, and I'm going to put it right in my yard, right across the street from them. I said, why are you going to do that? He said, just rub it in their face. I said, come on, let's not do something mean here at this point. He said, but you know, I better not. They may attack me. I said, now let's not be scared either. But difficult times will come. If you hold to your faith in Christ, there will be difficult times. If you have to take a public stand, you can expect it really tough. But you're going to find it among family and friends sometimes. They'll not understand who you are in Christ Jesus and how you keep holding the positions you do. Don't be shocked by all of this. See, Paul wrote, he said, this happened to me. It happened in Antioch. The leading people in the city of Antioch started an investigation in order to persecute Paul and Barnabas. It happened in Iconium. The city was deeply divided in Iconium because of Paul and Barnabas. They tried to mistreat them and tried to stone them. Lystra, he lists. And in Lystra, he was stoned by the men from Antioch and Lystra. They followed him from those two cities to there to stone him. They wanted to get him in the others. They would not relent. They came after him. But Paul said, the Lord rescued me from all of this. Instead of being overwhelmed by the possibility that I might get in some kind of trouble, why not look at it this way? Why not look at it in this way? Let's see how God's going to respond to his promises. See, I think a lot of times people never get to see God really fulfill some of his promises because we quit too soon. We would pick up our toys and go home before God's timing on revealing how he will solve or make something happen. And you know what happens when you do that? You miss out on joy. That God is always faithful, always, to everything that he is going to do. Evil men will be around, and they will get worse. They will deceive others. They will be deceived. But you and I, we're following God's word. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And no matter what happens in this world, and if we were to enter these kind of days, and I think we're on the edge of them, but I don't know if it's the days or not, but we're in a tough time. Let's look at for God to do something amazing and great. 
So when I gather here on Sunday morning with you, we sing. Why do we sing? Because it's the order of worship. It's what you put together, and we have to follow what he put together. That's not why we sing. We sing because we have been given the greatest gift in all the world, the gift of life in Christ. We sing because our sins have been forgiven. We've been made white as snow. We sing because one day we are going home. One day we are walking into his presence. One day we'll hear, well done and good, faithful servant. That's why we sing. The other day I pulled up a, an old choir anthem. Oh, the majesty of his name. I love that. We sang that when I was in high school. It's my favorite hymn of all time. And I just sat there in my chair and played it over and over again. Psalms 8 being unfolded in the most dramatic way in music. Psalm 8 giving praise to the Father in heaven because of his power and authority in creation. We are the most blessed people in all the world. And though troubled days may come, that's okay. I'm going to stand with my feet planted. And I close with this. What did Paul close Ephesians with? And that's who he's writing to when he writes to Timothy. Put on the full armor of God. Then stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. When do we stand firm? During the evil day. Paul's already warned them. He's telling Timothy, y'all need to know this. And when that day comes, you stand. But you know something? Aren't we privileged to be able to stand? Aren't we privileged to be able to stand? To be able to be faithful because he's faithful? To be able to live life because he's given us life? See, I think sometimes we get a little sidetracked in our thinking. Stop and realize, I've been blessed. And it ends well. I don't know what all the road has, but I'm walking that road. And I'm going to see my God do something amazing and special. And I guarantee the joy will be so real when you see that. You'll show up on a Sunday and you'll outsing every single person in this room not to be heard because you just want to praise the one who always answers. Father, we thank you for this day and for the privilege and honor you give us to study your word. And Lord, I'm not smart enough to know if we're in the final days or not. It kind of feels like it sometimes. But I do know this. You've called us to be faithful. You've called us to stand firm. You've all told us not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. So, Father, give us the ability to grow in our faith. Help us to know your word. Help us to be faithful in all that you've called us to do. Protect Ridgecrest. Make it strong. Help it within this part of Texas to be a lighthouse of amazing truth and grace. So, Father, you be glorified in and through all that are here today. And may you be glorified by all we do and say. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.